Well, good morning, Church at Indian Lake. How are you today? Huh? You great? Oh, no, you're not great? Are you great? Yeah. All right, good deal. Man, it was so awesome to be able to worship with you today. Uh, my voice has kind of been struggling a little bit. Pastor Aaron told me, he said, man, you know, she want to save your voice a little bit. And how in the world can you save your voice when the worship is like that? I mean, it was like, it's time to sing out, man. God is worthy of our praise. Amen. So good to worship, Aubrey, uh, Pastor Aubrey, I appreciate so much you leading us in the presence of the Lord, and good stuff there. Aaron uh, uh, is such a dear friend. I, I want to tell you, he, uh, he is a pastor to me. He may have been a disciple at one time, uh, but he certainly has been a pastor to me, and he's the guy that I can call at three in the morning and say, Pastor Aaron, I'm, I'm really struggling with something, and he is, man, he is Johnny on the spot, Aaron on the spot, and uh, he has uh, just been so good to me and, and so generous uh, just in hosting me this weekend. And we've been spending time at the SEC basketball tournament and uh, got, a, got a little SEC action going on there. But uh, he's, you just got a wonderful pastor. I just love him so much and I'm so grateful for him. Uh, this church also is just really, really special to me. Uh, some of you may not know it, but I had the opportunity of being a church overseer uh, for the last couple of years. I just rotated off. And so that means this. That means that um, I have committed uh, to praying for this church for a long time. And uh, even before I was asked to serve in that capacity, I was praying for you. In fact, from the moment I heard about you, I've been praying for you. There's actually a passage of scripture that I want to open up with to kind of uh, to show you kind of how how that is for me and my prayer for you. And that prayer that I've been praying for you uh, is actually what I want to talk to you about today. And so uh, it comes out of Colossians chapter 1. So this is, this is Pastor Brent's prayer for Church at Indian Lake. And so from the day that we heard about you, we have not ceased to pray for you. And we've been asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. My prayer has been that you'd be filled with the knowledge of what God has for you, amen? So that you can walk, say the word walk, because we're gonna talk about walking today, so that you can walk. The reason why we wanna know God's will is so that we can walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. That's a pretty worthy walk, wouldn't you say? A walk that is worthy, uh, in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Uh, that is the bullseye of all of our life, isn't it? We can live our life to please a lot of people, to even please ourselves, but to live a life that's fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I just, that's a prayer. And, and, and so you need to know that, that the, the, the prayer that Paul prayed over the Colossian church is the prayer that Brent has been praying for the church at Indian Lake. And so I'm praying that you're filled with the, 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 the knowledge and the will of God uh, so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So much of our Christian life uh, is uh, described as walking. You think about it. Uh, we walk by faith. Uh, we walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 says if we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so much of this journey that we take with the Lord is a journey called, it's, it's just a walk. And so I'm going to give you an acronym today. Uh, the folks in my church back in Austin know that I preach in acronyms all the time. So if you're taking notes, it's going to be a W, an A, and an L, and a K. All right? And we're going to talk about what it means to walk with the Lord. I like to go on walks. I like to uh, walk with my wife. We like to hike. We've hiked in Tennessee. 
uh, qu- quite a bit. We've uh, hiked up in Kentucky. We hiked all around Cumberland Falls. I was telling Beth and Aaron that they're going to be, I think, taking a trip to Colorado uh, this summer. And uh, I was telling them some of my favorite trails to walk on, the McGullah Gulch Trail. It's just great with an awesome waterfall at the end. I love to walk with my wife. And while we're walking, we talk. And uh, we just, it's, it's a good place for us just to relate. And we walk our neighborhood at night. Partly to stay in shape, but also partly to, to just reflect on our day. And we talk about our kids, and we talk about the church, and we pray together when we walk. Some of you may have been on prayer walks for Hendersonville, and walking is such a, it's just such an incredible thing. Now, I'll tell you a walk I don't like. <clears throat> there was a dog I had one time. <clears throat> he was a black lab. I didn't like going on walks with him. And the reason that I didn't like going on walks with him is because he, he, uh, would determine how the walk went, <laughs> right? <clears throat> he, there were times that he resisted the leash and I couldn't even put something around him and he would, you know, but then there were other days he'd want it and sometimes I'd put that on him and he would decide he was gonna be stubborn and he didn't wanna walk and I'm like, come on, champ. His name was Champ and here we go. And there was other times that it was like this and, and uh, I, I wanted to walk with him he, and he wasn't wanting to necessarily walk with me. He wasn't wanting to stay in step with where I was. And I found that sometimes in our Christian life, we can be a lot like that with the Lord. The Lord just wants to walk with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. Walking is such a relational word, isn't it? If you walk with someone, that's, that's just relational. And that's what God's wanting. He's wanting a relationship. And Champ's not wanting a relationship with me, right? He's, he's, he's resisting or he's pulling. And I'm just wanting him just to chill, right? And let's just walk together. And, um, and, and I know that there have been times in my life when I have been that way with the Lord, I've been stubborn, right? And the Lord's wanting to go on a walk with me and I'm resisting, right? And some of you may be at that place right now. You're resisting God putting his yoke on you, right? He said, he said, he said, take my yoke upon you. And we resist that and we don't want to walk. And then there's others of us that we're trying to do our own thing and we're on this, this journey with the Lord, but we we're trying to determine the speed, the pace, the, the, and the journey. And we're, we're pulling the Lord and, the, and it's just, there's this, and that's, that's a relationship of conflict. And, and I have found myself on both ends of that, right? Where I'm running ahead of God or God's trying to pull me along instead of me just walking with him. You know, the Lord requires us to walk with him. I want to look at a passage of scripture in uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It's one of those verses that we, we hear a lot. Uh, and so sometimes we can just fly right over it. Like it's, you know, it's the, the flyover zone, those famous verses. And, but let's, let's check this out. He has shown you, O mortal. Well, he kind of uh, establishes the pecking order right away, doesn't he? He has shown you, O mortal. What is good? And what does the Lord require? Say require. <clears throat> okay, so this is not a suggestion. Right? This is a requirement of the Lord. He said, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, the first two kind of have to do with uh, our horizontal relationships with people and, and life situations. When we're acting justly, we're responding 
to good and evil in the world. And we're making right decisions about what we know the word of God says and what we know the Lord says. And so we're, we're acting justly. We're acting that out in the world we're living in. The, the next one has to do with a, a, a people, uh, right? And, and in their suffering and in, in their need for grace. And how many of you have people in your life that are in big need of grace, huh? How many of you are sitting next to someone right now who needs a lot of grace? <clears throat> to love mercy. To love mercy. But this next one is not quite so horizontal, which makes it more of a challenge. Because I can see you guys, right? I, I can respond to a situation, see, but, but this walking humbly with God is just more of a vertical thing. And, and I don't see God. I have, that's, a, that's a walk by faith, right? But it says that a requirement that I have in my life is that I walk humbly with my God. How in the world do I do that? Why is that important? From the very beginning, we see these God walkers. And I want to be a God walker, right? I don't want to be a God resistor or a God puller. I want to be a God walker. From the very beginning, we see these guys. And Genesis 5 kind of opens up the door this. I guess we could even say begin before that when uh, God's walking in the Garden of Eden. He's walking around and he's looking for his walking partner, right? Adam, hello. Adam's hiding. We're not going to get into that story. That's a whole other thing. But let's start with the God walkers right after that. We start in this Genesis 5. Here's what's interesting about Genesis 5. If you're doing any kind of Bible reading, um, the narrative of the Bible is just sailing right along, right? You've got, you've got the whole creation. You've got Adam and Eve. You've got the fall. You've got its excitement, right? Cain and Abel are going on, and this is a pretty cool narrative. And I don't know if you ever started kind of this read through the Bible thing, but you're sailing right into Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4. It's just, it's just going. You hit Genesis 5, and it's like the Sahara Desert. You get there, and it's all this lineage, and verse after verse after verse is there was this person and he begat this person and he died. And then this person lived this long and he had children and then he died. And it's just living and dying, living and dying and having kids. That's the whole deal. And it's just like every verse just repeats itself. It's just the names are, are different. And that's, that's kind of where we get all the way to verse 21. And the narrative kind of changed. There's this, there's this almost this cadence Right in the, in the scriptures that all these people are living and having children and dying. Living and having children and dying. They're just living very ordinary, plain, not exciting, nothing that's really grabbing God's attention kind of life. And then, boom, we hit verse 21 and we get to a different kind of dude. The cadence changes. 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, that sounds so far like all the others. He became the father of Methuselah. That kind of sounds like everybody else. This is how the cadence is going. And after he became the, uh, the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. That wasn't in the other guy's stories. This is a little caveat to him that wasn't true about anyone else. All of these people are living life a certain ordinary way, and then there's Enoch who lived life in an extraordinary way. And the thing that made him different, the thing that got God's attention was simply that he walked faithfully with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be that guy. I don't want to live my life in the ordinary. I don't want to live my life just kind of going through it, having kids, having a job, and dying someday. And nothing that I did in life got God's attention at all. 
favorably. I want to be an Enoch. That all of a sudden, there's all these people around me, all these, this life is going on, and God hits the brakes when he sees Brent Batson, and he goes, that guy walks with me. And I like it. And I like him. Let's keep going. And altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years, and Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him over. What an extraordinary man. All because of one thing. He walked faithfully with God. You know what's really cool about that? Is that I don't have to be a great athlete to do that. I don't have to have a great musical talent to do that. I don't have to be super smart and intelligent to do that. I don't have to be a great artist to do that. Every single person has the ability, no matter what your uh, earthly abilities are, all of you have the spiritual ability to walk faithfully with God. This is not beyond any of our grasp, is it? No matter how intelligent or how gifted we are in anything, I could try all of those things to please somebody and fail. Right? I could get out on a basketball court and try to be an NBA player and I would fail. But I can walk faithfully with God. And so can you. A child can walk faithfully with God. An old man can walk faithfully with God. I can be sick and walk faithfully with God. So this is something that God has allowed that we all can do faithfully. Now, let's just go one more chapter over into Genesis 6, and then we're really going to launch into the acronym. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Wow, what a bleak description of humanity. It's like everything about the human race was going the wrong way. Do you ever feel like we live in a culture like that? You know, we turn on the news or we turn on a television and we're thinking, hey, I'm just going to watch a TV show. And 10 minutes into the TV show, three minutes into the TV show, we can't even watch the TV show anymore because every thought of the heart is only evil all the time. It's like we're surrounded in that culture. And so God is painting this picture of everybody is doing this one thing. The Lord even regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Wow, God is having a response of, ugh, to to what's going on in this culture. I love verse 8. But Noah. Say, but Noah. This is what I would love for you to be able to do without you feeling like you're committing blasphemy or something. Scratch out the word Noah. And put your name there. And declare that over your life. You know that I did that? I did that when I was 19 years old. I just drew a pencil line through the word Noah and I put Brent. Because I wanted that to be true of my life. But Brent found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Brent and his family. Brent was a righteous man. Blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. What a word to proclaim over yourself. What a word for teenagers to proclaim over themselves. Where they say, you know, this is what's going to be true about me. Everyone else may be all sucked up into a bad culture, going the wrong way, doing all kinds of evil that makes God sick, that makes God regret. But when God looks at Brent, when God looks at me, I want him to find a man. I want him to find a man and, and his family that is righteous and blameless, different than all of the people of his time. And the thing that made all of that happen, because he couldn't have been righteous and blameless if the last thing doesn't happen. 
The reason he was righteous and blameless was because he walked faithfully with God. So within two chapters of one another, Genesis 5 and Genesis 6, we have two guys that the thing that marked them as being different is that they walked with God. Do you want to be that kind of guy? Do you want to be that kind of person? Really, do you? Are you interested at all? Can I hear you? My church talks back to me. I don't know. Can I, can I, can I get? Do you, do, you wanna, do you wanna be that guy that walks faithfully with God? I do. In the New Testament, they call that being a disciple. And I wanna be his disciple. And the journey of a disciple starts with this letter W, and we're gonna go through these. The first letter is, the, is W, and it just simply means willing to walk. You know, in order to be a disciple, you've got to be willing to be a disciple. <laughs> Mark 3 says that Jesus called to himself the ones that he wanted, and they came to him. They came to him. Jesus didn't do like I do, champ, <laughs> and drag them along, right? Put them in a headlock and move them along. He calls, and they came to him. And there's a willingness to walk. That's where a journey starts. You know, not, all, not, not everyone's willing. Not everyone's willing to follow Jesus. There's an interesting story uh, in John chapter 9. I just want us to peel back the pages of Scripture we're going to look in. We're going we're to look at a lot of Scripture today, and it's because I've kind of found out <clears throat> the Bible has more to say than I do. So let's look at John chapter 9. Let's see. Or 5, actually 5, 1 through 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And there, there, there's, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, there was this pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. And it's surrounded by five colored colonnades. Uh, and here a great number of disabled people used to lie. <clears throat> the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one uh, who was there had been an invalid there for 38 years. That's a long time. Uh, I would imagine that was his whole identity. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him. Now this is an interesting question. Do you want to get well? Isn't that an interesting question to ask a guy that's crippled? You would assume that he would and that Jesus wouldn't have to ask that question. Do you want to get well? But you know what I found out in ministry? What I found out about discipleship is not everyone wants to walk. Jesus had to ask this guy, do you want to get well? Do you want to get up off your mat? Do, do you want to change your identity? Do you want to change who you've been for 38 years? Are you ready to follow me into a different life? You see, do you want to get well is a bigger question than do you want to walk, <laughs> right? It implies so much more. And right now, he's poking at the willingness of this guy to even want to walk. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into this pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So he's already blaming the reason that he's been on this mat on somebody else. Now, we're real good at that, right? The moment that God came to Adam and approached him about his nakedness, what is he doing? He's blaming Eve for it, and Eve's blaming the snake. We play the blame game very well, Right? I teach, a, I teach a, uh, an English and a history class for a group of homeschoolers. And uh, when they forget their homework, it's amazing how many times they say something about their mom. And I said, you know what? From the beginning of time, guys have been saying, it was the woman you gave me. I said, so, so stop that. God didn't buy it, and I'm not buying it either. Well, here's this guy, and he's blaming. 
everybody else. And, but, but listen to Jesus. Jesus does not even go there. Uh, and Jesus isn't going to go there with you either. Because we can blame all our problems on somebody else. Jesus never says to this guy, well, let me take care of that for you. I'm going I'm to go get those guys for you. Who, show, point them out to me. Point out to me those people that are hurting you. Point those people out to me that are holding you back. Jesus doesn't go there. He looks at the guy and says, get up. <laughs> it's like he didn't even hear what he said. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. And the day that this took place was on the Sabbath. Do you want to be made well? You know what I know today? I know that there's people here today that are on a mat. And that Jesus is here today as well. Uh, and he's calling you to get up off the mat. <laughs> right? There's two things going on. We have people on a mat. And we have people, and we have a, and a God that is calling us off the mat. But the question is, do you want to be made well? Do you want to walk? Are you willing to walk? You see, there had to be a willingness. There has to be a willingness for Jesus to do something in me. I'm going to say that again because it's important. There has to be a willingness in me for Jesus to do a work in me. There has to be a willingness. This man had to be willing to lay down his mat. He had to be willing to lay down something that he was familiar with, something that had been his identity. And some, like this man in the story, have all kinds of excuses as to why they're not going to get off the mat. I started thinking about this a little bit. Some people are on the mat today because someone hurt you. Someone hurts you and you're mad. And you're laying in your madness. You're laying down there in your anger. Someone in the church hurt you. Someone that represented Jesus hurt you. And so when Jesus comes along and says to walk, you're like, no, 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 because one of your people hurt me. And you're laying there. You're laying there in your anger and your bitterness. And one of those powerful things I've ever heard about bitterness is bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies from it. But it's only killing you. It's only eating you alive. And it's got you crippled there on a mat. And when Jesus is giving you an opportunity to follow him, you're allowing something that happened in the past rob you of your destiny of what God has for you in your future. And I would say to you, get up off your mat and walk. Just like Jesus would. But, but we're more content sometimes to lay there in the crippledness of our bitterness. It's easier for me to lay here a victim than to rise up and walk a, a, vic, a victor. Right? It's easier to be injured than empowered. And I will say to you today, that's a stinking lie. Whenever the enemy comes to you and says, stay injured, and God is telling you, no, be empowered, and you buy the lie of the enemy of stay injured, stay victim, not victor, that's stinking thinking. And Jesus is here to cure us and heal us of not just the inability to walk, but he's here to make us well. He's here to cure us from stinking thinking. And some of us are sitting here today with stinking thinking. And, and that's, not a, that's not a me pointing at you condemnation thing. I have had it a lot in my life. It's easy for me to lay down and say, I'm mad because of what this person did or because of that circumstance or God, even what you did. And so I'm going to stay here and protest what has happened in my life by laying on this mat. And so Jesus is saying, get off the mat. Stop with the excuses. I'm here to make you well, Brent. Do you want to be well? Do you really want to be well? Well, some of us are there for that reason. 
But others of us may be there because we're just too lazy to get up and follow Jesus. <laughs> uh, mats are easy. <laughs> I remember one time, uh, I was up early in the morning, and uh, this was, uh, I don't know, this was several years ago. And so I got up and <laughs> couldn't sleep, maybe four in the morning. I go get me a bag of potato chips and some bean dip or something like that. And I go sit on the couch, and I'm thinking, I can't sleep and I turn on ESPN, my favorite channel, <laughs> and there's an exercise show going on. And there's these people, these sculpted people, and they're in like camo outfits. Uh, you know, they're, they're like really rough and rugged people, and they're doing these exercises. And I'm literally sitting on the couch watching them exercise, cheering for them, <laughs> eating a bag of chips with bean dip. And <laughs> we laugh, but spiritually, that's how a lot of us are. We're sitting watching other people have a walk with God, other people getting up and doing the things of God, and we're just sitting there cheering on them while we're not taking care of ourselves. We're not, you know what I'm saying? Because, hey, it's just a lot easier to sit on the couch. I, I could have gotten up and done those push-ups and sit-ups. I could have done that. But I chose not to. Why? Because I was lazy. And some of us are just too lazy to get up and follow Jesus, right? If I get up, oh, watch out. If I get up and walk, what's he going to ask me to do next? Run? What's you going to ask me to do next? Fly? What's you going to ask me to do next? Fight somebody? Fight the devil? Oh my goodness, that just takes too much work. It takes too much work to be holy. So I'm just going to stay here on my nice little mat and I'm going to applaud all the people that are walking around saying, oh, you go, you walk with the Lord, but I'm just going to be okay. You know, we got wives that are maybe applauding their, wife, their husbands walking with the Lord, but they're not going to. We have husbands cheering for their wives being spiritual, but they're not going to be. We have parents that are loving that their kids are getting spiritual in youth group and that God's getting on them, but they're not walking with the Lord themselves. <clears throat> it's just easy just to lay there and let other people do the walking. That's why some people stay on the mat. Am I preaching? Man, this is getting on us a little bit. Uh, some of us are too afraid to walk. It's not so much that we're lazy. It's not so much that we're bitter, but we're just, we're just afraid to walk. You know, the Bible's got this story about the rich young ruler. Um, he's all over the Gospels. Uh, and the interesting thing about him is those three adjectives that describe him. He was rich, he was young, he was a ruler. And I can speak for men, I can't really speak for women, but I can speak for men. Uh, he pretty much had it down. That's pretty much everything that guys like to live for. We, we, we love to have stings. Uh, we live for riches. We do, man. Let's just face it. I mean, we love to have the, uh, the square footage of our house, the newness of our car, those kind of things. You know, what we wear, those kind of things matter. We love it. We love things. We love it. We live for things. That's why we work so hard. And he was rich. So he already kind of had that box checked off. He was young. Uh, I just turned 52 this week. I, I want to be young. You know, some men are so into being young. Uh, you can look at any sports uh, show on TV, and half the commercials are going to be for men that need to just want to buy a little pill, and it helps them be young again, right? Vitality. Vitality. He was young. He had, he had his possessions. He had his vitality, and he was a ruler. He was in charge. Now, I'm just thinking, if I'm thinking of the laundry list of what men like, man, being rich, being young, and being in charge is kind of a thing. Uh, but he knew there was an absence in him. He, he comes and asks the Lord, what must I do to have eternal life? He knew there was something missing. He knew there was a disconnect. He's basically asking the question that God is answering in Micah 6. What are you requiring? What's the Lord require of me? <clears throat> and Jesus talks to him about 
the law and uh, don't commit adultery. He says all these things, you know, the Ten Commandments, basically, Jesus was shooting off some of those. And he said, oh, I've done those things since I was little. So he even had a, he had kind of a spiritual component to him, too. And uh, he said, these things I've kept since I was young. Jesus comes back with him with, well, then, uh, if you want to be perfect. It's interesting, that's not what he asked originally. Uh, that's a, probably another message. But he said, if you want to be perfect, you need to go sell everything you have, feed the poor, come follow me. Now, Jesus, we, we know that's not how you're saved. You're not saved, right, by selling everything you have to the poor uh, and, and, and leaving all that to follow. That's not how, so it's interesting how Jesus answers that question. But here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was poking at the man's idol. He was pushing against it. It was this thing that was keeping him from following the Lord. Right? And so when Jesus put his hand to it and began to try to push it over, was this man going to resist? And he did. The Bible says that he went away sad because he had great riches. That's what the Bible says. I wonder what it is that God puts his hand to and says, if you're going to follow me, I'm pushing that over. And we're like, nope. And we leave church service after church service after church service, having heard the word of God, but we leave sad. We leave undone because we simply are not willing to let God put his hand to the idol and push it over because we can't serve two things. We can't serve two gods. That doesn't work. I've had to deal with my own idols in my life. Now, mine wasn't riches and youth and being a ruler, but I had other things that when God put his hand to it and said, you're going to follow me? And I was too afraid. I was too afraid of what God was asking of me. And perhaps that's you today. It keeps you on the mat. Some people are just too busy. And what keeps us on the mat is our busyness, our calendar. Too busy with something else. Jesus addresses that in Luke chapter 14, verse 16 to 24. I want us to pay attention to this passage because I think it's really applicable. Uh, Can we back up to verse 16? There we go. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Uh, Basically here, it's the call to follow him. Right? At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first one said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Now listen, in the time that I've been in ministry, the time I've been a pastor, I'm seeing this happen over and over again where God is really calling someone to kind of follow, to kind of step up, but they've made a purchase that they need the purchase to be worth what they paid for it, and so now they need to spend time justifying that purchase. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Be it land or a boat or something, and all of a sudden now they're putting all that time into that, and it's, it's, it's robbing them of really being able to follow the Lord. This guy, it was a field. He bought some land. He bought some land. He said, I bought a field, and so what's keeping me from coming is I have made this purchase, and... Um, I need to take care of it. Another said, I just bought, again, five yoke of oxen. It's interesting that these things were purchased. I bought five yoke of oxen, uh, and I'm on my way to try them out, right? I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. Well, at least he has a better excuse. I just got married. 
so I can't come. Uh, what he's saying is, is, hey, I've got to, my family's important. I've got some things going on with my family. Our family is, we've got some busyness. And so we don't have time to really dedicate ourselves to walking and being discipled. And we, don't, we just don't have time to invest in our spiritual walk. We don't have time to, we don't have time to walk. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And the owner of the house became angry. And ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. It's interesting that Jesus wants a full house. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. I don't want to be those guys. Not one of those who are invited will be Get a taste of my banquet. And I don't want busyness to rob me of what God has for me. And I don't want busyness to rob you of what God has for you. We simply don't have time to follow Jesus. You know, one way that we know that we're too busy is if we're too busy for God's purposes. Too busy for God's people. Too busy for God's places. Listen, if you're too busy for those things, then you're too busy. You're too busy. The word busy, B-U-S-Y, I call it being under Satan's yoke. Something the enemy gives us. We live under that. And our busyness keeps us from following God. Pride keeps us from following God. We're going to get into the, the next letter, the letter A with this one. But pride does. Uh, a is allowing Jesus to lead us. See, the issue for some of us is, is that we're just, we're, we're, we're willful. It's the opposite of willingness, isn't it? Either willing or willful. One comes from a position of, of surrender. The other comes from a position of stubbornness. I, I like to tell the story of this little boy that his parents are trying to get him to sit down. Sit down. They were just so hyper. Sit down. So finally they took the little boy and they grabbed him by the shoulders and they sat him down in the chair. And the little boy just looked up at his parents and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside Being allowing ourselves to be led by the Lord, allowing Him to be the leader. It strikes me that people that follow Jesus allowed Him to lead them, allowed Him to be the leader. Jesus said in Luke 9 23, if anyone comes, would come after me, he must deny himself. He must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That, that, word, that word whoever and daily really gets me, right? That means if I want to follow the Lord, if I want to follow Jesus, I have to daily take up my mat and follow Jesus. It's not a one-time deal. I confront that in my heart all the time. We, we need to be at a place where leadership is not our goal. Sometimes even church makes leadership the goal. If we had a leadership conference, all kinds of guys show up. But the problem is in the New Testament, Jesus never said anything about being a leader. It's crazy. Why the church sometimes puts so much emphasis on leadership when Jesus never put any emphasis on that at all? Jesus uh, put emphasis on the opposite. Jesus put the emphasis on being a disciple. A disciple is a follower. But I'm afraid that if we had a fellowship conference, nobody would show up. But really, that's what discipleship is, isn't it? 
Even when Paul was describing his leadership, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me in my following. What I, what I need is not to learn how to lead. I, I'm a pretty good leader. I've been leading myself my whole life. I think most of us have a theme song. Our theme song is, I did it my way. And we will sing that song right over the cliff. But letting Jesus lead us, letting Jesus take the steering wheel of our life is one of the most difficult things we'll ever do besides letting our 16-year-old drive his first time that he's doing driver's ed and sitting in the passenger seat. That's pretty scary. But again, that's turning over the steering wheel, isn't it? We're all by nature, I think, control freaks. And Jesus is like, listen, there's only one room for one driver and it's allowing the Lord to lead us. It's allowing the Lord to lead us. The L is learning his ways. Learning his ways. You know, a disciple is a student. It's someone that commits themselves to learning his ways. The Bible tells us in, in Timothy, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. Let's go one more verse back. 2 Timothy, let's go verse 3, verse 14. All, uh, verse 14, okay, uh, one more back. There you go. But as for you, continue in what you've learned. Say learned. And have become convinced of. Say convinced. Because you know. Say the word know. Those from whom you've learned it. Say the word learned. You see these words, these, these words about being a student. A disciple is a student. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that's you, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Being a disciple is being a commitment to being a student. I know this. I know that when I was courting my wife, I became a student of her. I wanted to learn what she liked and what she didn't like because I didn't want to make a mistake on a date. I didn't want to take her to a restaurant where she didn't like that kind of food. I started learning things I should say and things I shouldn't say. I became a student of her. Why? I wanted her in my life. I wanted her in my life. When uh, I play fantasy football, and I know that's a crazy thing, but listen, I want to be good at it. And I just don't flip coins and pick players. I want to be good at it, and so I learn. I study their statistics. I get into what they've done. I look into the tendencies. I look at it. If you want to be good in the stock market, you're going to learn, right? Listen, the same is true with your faith. If, if your faith is important to you, you're going to spend time learning about him. Amen? You're going to be learning his word. I uh, recently, uh, my wife got me a, uh, an office chair. My other office chair was breaking. It was old. She got me an office chair. But there was a problem. The office chair came unassembled in a box. Obviously, she did not learn me very well because she knew that was a recipe for absolute disaster. I'm not mechanically inclined. But being the man that I am, I quickly opened up the box and threw the manual out to the side and began to say, there's only five pieces here. How hard could this possibly be? And so I began to... Put it together and a little screw here, a little screws there. Let's just put this thing together. And when I got done, it was terrible. It didn't look right. It wasn't leaning the right way. The handles were loose. 
And the worst thing of all, there were screws, way too many screws left over. (laughs) This is what I have found with a lot of believers. We have a lot of screws loose. (laughs) Our lives have not been assembled properly. We're not working quite like we're designed to work. We're not looking quite like we're supposed to look. Why? Why? Because I'm just going to do this on my own. I I, I don't have to follow the manual. I I don't really have to know what the manual says. I'm just going to, you know what? Uh, My dad was a good guy, so I'm just going to kind of do things like him. Or my dad was a terrible guy, so I'm going to do things the opposite that he did it. Instead of letting the Bible build us. Some of you this morning, you got some screws loose and you're not quite right, all because you have become a student of God's Word. I love it that this church emphasizes things like Veritas College. Becoming a student, right, of God's Word. Learning His ways. Now, I want to close with this one, the K. And it comes out of Exodus chapter 33. It's the prayer of Moses, because knowing Him is the goal of the walk. Knowing him, it says this in verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people. You've been telling me to be a good dad. You've been telling me to be a good friend. You've been telling me to be a disciple. You've been telling me to lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you've found favor with me. So if you're pleased with me, God, if you're pleased with me, do this, teach me your ways. So that, why do we want to learn the ways of the Lord? So that I may know you. See, knowing him is the goal. Not becoming a better volunteer, not becoming a better, all of that stuff are byproducts, right? Of knowing him. But what it's really about, guys, it's about knowing Jesus. I was challenged a few weeks back while I was watching a basketball game. And I was challenged uh, by my team that I cheer for. I'm a Razorback fan, I know, pray for me. And I was watching them and they would have been in this game if they would have just been shooting their free throws. They just were not shooting free throws. And the announcer was making a reference to that. He goes, you know, you, you, know, uh, you would think that these guys have been playing basketball since the second grade. Uh, they would know how to shoot free throws. He was really being critical. He said, but they got terrible form. It's like someone just needs to take them aside and teach them some free throw shooting. And, and I'm, I'm all up in that. And I'm like, yeah, man, those coaches are making millions of dollars. They need to spend some time working on some fundamentals with those guys. Shooting free throws. Man, come on, coach. I'm yelling at the TV. Come on, coach. And it's like, it's like the finger of God just came down out, out of heaven and just kind of poked me in the chest. And said, Brent, there, there, there are men who've been going to your church for 10 years and they don't know how to pray. They don't know how to lead their wife in humility. They don't know how to spend time with their children in the Word. And you're the coach of that team. Because sometimes we can get so busy doing church that we forget about the individual walk with God. I went back to my church that next week and I just asked the most simple first base question. I just simply said, do you know Jesus? 
Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, just stand to your feet. That's kind of a risky thing to do. It's not a real modern thing to do. I'm really thinking that no one was going to stand up, or maybe an emotional middle schooler might. We had men all over the congregation standing to their feet. Men that had been in our church for years. And they met Jesus that morning. They basically said, I'm getting off my mat. That I've been on for 38 years, 50 years, three days. It's kind of a daily decision, isn't it? What's your mat today? Are you willing to walk? Are you at a place where you would allow Jesus to lead you? Are you committed to learning his ways? And is your goal in your heart to know him intimately? Pastor Aaron.